Thank you, thank you. Um, I was here like maybe three weeks ago, um, and I was leading worship here, and I really felt that there's something very special about this campus in particular. I've been to different Emmaus campuses before, but something about this group, something about this year, there's a kind of momentum and hunger, sincerity, community, all these things that I feel is very fresh and it's very new. Um, three weeks ago or four weeks ago, I forget when, um, when I was here for first time, I had heard all these things about uh, KU. I had heard about what God was doing in this campus, and I was so excited to be here, like to see it for myself, where it's not just word of mouth, it's not just secondhand, but really getting to see the faces, getting to meet you guys. And knowing that most of you guys I'll see this Sunday as well. Um, so I'm just very excited uh, to be able to deliver the word for today. Before we go into the word, I actually wanted us to pray for one more, uh, one more topic. And um, this is for your good. So we're going to pray for hunger. Um, a lot of times we kind of, when we come into a place of worship and we want to hear the word of God, um, it doesn't just depend on whether the, the, the person delivering it is anointed, but the people receiving it, if there's a hunger, if there's an anointing in the listening, in the hearing, the capturing of the word, it is very, very different. It's a very different experience, both for the speaker and also for the person receiving the word. So I wanted us to um, take just a few more minutes to pray, just for us to close our eyes and ask the Lord to stir up hunger in us. Stir up hunger in us to shake off whatever the rest of this day has been like, the rest of this week has been like, uh, to shake off every other distraction. And that, just as Masande was saying, when we're here, we're fully here, fully present. Uh, we're not going to miss out on anything that God wants for us tonight. And that, um, yeah, that, that if there's any apathy in us, if there's any dryness in, in us, that uh, God would really allow us to push through in the spirit and that we would come to him with hunger. So let's take a moment to pray. Uh, Father, we thank you, God. We thank you, Father, that you don't just leave us where we are, that we have authority, that we have control, that we have power over however we're feeling. We have power over however it is that we, our day has been, that we don't have to be defined, Lord God, by things around us, Lord God, but we respond to your spirit, we respond to your initiating, we respond to your word, to your worship, to your presence. So I thank you, Father, that we're not letting uh, the atmosphere, we're not letting the hunger, Lord God, be defined by circumstances around us, Lord God. I pray, God, that KU, uh, Emmaus, would be known, Lord God, as a place of hunger. I thank you, Father. Father, we thank you uh, that you brought us here tonight for a reason, that it's not by accident, it's not just by routine that we find ourselves here. I pray, Father, that you would be working in us, Lord God, if there's any weariness, any uh, tiredness, any slowness, Lord God, all of these things, Lord God, that are really not of you. I pray, Father, that we'll be able to shake these things off in Jesus' name, and that as we come into your presence, Lord God, that we would become alert, alive, that our spirits would come alive, and that as we listen to your word, we would know that we are receiving living word, not just words from a speaker, not just words from a carefully written out message, but something that comes from the living word of God, from the mouth of God himself. So we thank you, Father, that there's great power that comes from listening, abiding, retaining, carrying your word. May we be good soil tonight. May KU Emmaus be known as a place of hunger, of seeking, of thirsting after your word. May it be known as good soil. We thank you, Father, that this is what you want for us tonight. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, we are ready for the word. 
All right. See, sí, thank you. Gracias. Uh, so for those who don't know, my name is Susie Park. I am actually originally from Chile. So I was born and raised in Chile uh, until I was uh, about 18 years old, and then I went to college in the States. So if you hear random racism or <laughs> Spanish words, uh, that's what they're referring to. Uh, yes. Um, so about maybe four weeks ago, I was... Um, reading a, a particular passage in the Bible, and I felt the Lord prompt me that this is a word that I need to preach at KU. So it's about four weeks ago that I feel like God was highlighting this passage in particular. I don't know why. I'm just trusting that this will speak to you, to your current situation. Even four weeks ago, God knew what you would be doing today, right? He knew what kind of things you'd be experiencing, wanting answers for, wanting a living word for. Uh, so I'm assuming that this is for someone out there. Um, if you could open up your Bibles to Psalm 37. Psalm 37. All right, Psalm 37, and we'll be reading uh, just verses 1 through 4. 1 through 4. Verse 1. Do not fret because of evil men, or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourselves in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Amen. This is a really powerful psalm. And it has, I feel like it has the power to break off stagnancy, has the power to break off bitterness, the power to break off doubting, and just different things that we tend to struggle with as believers. Um, this is what I would say it is, is the audience for a passage like this. Maybe there's some of you in here who are dealing with unfair circumstances, where evil seems to be going unpunished and unchecked. Now, I'm not saying like, I got a bad grade, but actually I didn't really study. Like, that's not unfair. That's just completely fair, right? That's completely, that's a justice of God, if anything, right? Uh, so I'm not talking about that, but just evil, malice, um, scheming, uh, people who have evil intent, wicked intent in their heart, and they seem to be getting away with it. And as a bystander, the kind of justice, this sense of justice that rises up in you of like, how, how do people get away with that? Or why isn't God doing anything? Why isn't it anything happening? Uh, that sense of like something's off. Uh, I, th I feel like today this psalm will address that. Maybe some people are dealing with envy, contemplating taking shortcuts or compromising because doing what is right sometimes seems to go unrewarded. So almost like the, the benefits of doing what is right are outweighed by the benefits of doing what is wrong uh, but they seem to have more fun, but they seem to have, you know, like a lot, a lot more happening in their lives. And it seems like at times the cost of doing what is right seems too high. So if that is what you're feeling, I feel like today's message will also apply to that. Uh, some people are experiencing doubt whether they should go all in and wholeheartedly follow the Lord uh, instead of just having one foot in and one foot out. So you're kind of on the fence. You're feeling things out. Um, but you're not completely sure if you want to jump all in. Um, some other people have trusted the Lord, have gone all in, but are growing impatient 
or doubtful when they see their desires still unfulfilled. They feel like their promises are still on hold. So you're still in, in like the waiting period. You put all your trust in the Lord. Why isn't breakthrough coming? Why isn't the promise being accomplished? All the things that God spoke of, why is it only partially fulfilled? That might be you. And maybe some people might still be exploring Christianity. You find yourself in a place where you're doing kind of a cost-benefit analysis. And, you know, do your gains outweigh the sacrifice? Uh, can God be trusted? Does he have good in store for you? Uh, and these might be some questions that uh, you might be also experiencing. And lastly, maybe some people have been Christians for a while. And, yeah, you trust in the Lord. Yes, you, you know, go to church, do the Christian thing. Uh, but you haven't experienced a closeness and intimacy uh, with the Lord. You haven't really experienced that genuine delight that you kind of hear about and you kind of see in some people, but you kind of haven't really tasted it for yourself. Like there's a little bit of distance still between you and the Lord, and you don't know what to do about that. So I feel like Psalm 37 verses 1 through 4 today will speak to you today as well. So what I'm going to do for you today is going to be actually very uh, straightforward. We're going to take a look at the verses and... Uh, we're going to break it down. So it's going to be very literal, very out of your Bible. Uh, and that hopefully will kind of change the lens with which you look at this passage. Even just these four uh, verses are very, very, very rich uh, with revelation. So if we could have the first slide, we're going to read it uh, together one more time. Uh, do not fret because of evil men altogether or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Like green plants, they will soon die away. Next. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. All right, so we're going to begin to break it down. Uh, whenever we do see evil in the world, and unfortunately this is something that our generation t tends to deal with more and more, there is a lot of good that is happening in the world. You know, when you scroll through your newsfeed, you see like posts by like Upworthy or Faith It or, you know, like the, those, uh, those outlets, right? Where it's like, ah, it gives you like a warm, fuzzy feeling or like, you know, like, uh, clips of puppies and things like that. That kind of like, oh, the world is not such a bad place. But then, uh, sooner or later, you're going to come across really disturbing things that are happening in the world right now. And it's almost easier to kind of marginalize that uh, out of your daily life or out of your um, even news feed or what you're aware of. It, you kind of push it out of into the periphery. You'd rather not think about it because there's some really grave things that are happening actually right now that are kind of like too enormous for us to completely wrap our minds around. So for example, uh, just some stats is for example, there are there's like a prevalence of cases of seven, eight, nine-year-olds that are actually having to be clinically treated for like porn addiction, things like that, that are like like a, like a seven-year-old. Like what do they know? They know nothing. And when you see kids like this who are so exposed uh, to uh, media such as this and to the point where they have to clinically be treated and maybe for the rest of their lives they might not be able to see gender. They might not be able to see uh, sexual intimacy like in the right way, in the way that God has intended it to be. Can you imagine being tainted so young and projecting an entire life of having to deal with a misconception of the way that the world works? Um, uh, did you also know that there's like 3.1 million children dying of malnutrition every year? See, 3.1 million is such a big number that you have no way of even picturing it or imagining it. But, you know, if, if this was, you know, the entire 
Earth population, like first row, you know, would be gone, for example. Uh, so it would be something very, very tangible uh, where something so preventable as malnutrition, uh, especially with the kind of resources that we have today, that we have 3.1 million children dying each year, or even um, the 36 million people uh, being tr human uh, trafficked through human trafficking to fuel the $150 billion a year industry um, of, of sex uh, slavery. Things like this that are like absolutely like dumbfounding. You could spend your entire life uh, with your head in the sand and just not want to deal with these things. And I understand that because uh, at the rate at which these things are accelerating, it's it's our human desire to to want to like turn the other way. Like it's just too much to handle all at once. There's not much that I feel that I can do. And uh, our reaction is kind of like, well, that's not part of my world. Or I can trumpet this, uh, you know, as a social justice cause for a few years, but then it's only a matter of time before, you know, it fizzles out or, or whatnot. It's things that are so big that are really hard for us to deal with. And yet this is the kind of world that we are dealing with right now. This is like unheard of. Uh, you as a Christian, uh, gener I'll add myself to you guys, this generation of Christi uh, Christians are dealing with uh, things that never before in the world have had to uh, be answered, have, have to be dealt with from a Christian standpoint at the magnitude that is happening right now. So it's a very new world, and in a lot of ways, uh, we feel very ill-prepared to tackle such big things. Uh, but fortunately for us, I'm not going to answer today, like, actually what you can do about it, like, like practically speaking. I'm going to answer the question of how do we have faith as Christians in the midst of evil around us? It's not all evil around us, so that's not what I'm saying. But there is a growing darkness at the same time in the world around us. And how do we stay in a place of faith, of being unshaken from who God is to us, even in the midst of evil? So we're going to go through it uh, almost like verse by verse. So if we could go to the next slide. The first temptation that we have is fretting. When we see evil all around us, uh, there is a tendency for us to feel like... Uh, <laughs> uh, there's a tendency for us to feel like... Um, God's no longer in control, or God's like somewhere else. Why is any dealing with this? And there's an anxiety that rises up within us, and we begin to fret because we feel like evil is winning the day. We feel like justice is not being served. That's one of the ways in which we react. A second one is, or be envious. So being envious, unfortunately, that's part of our sin nature. When we see people around, around us, it doesn't need to be like... It's going to be very hard to make that jump of being envious of like a human trafficker or something like that. But I'm saying like something even more minor where like, hey, somebody got ahead by cheating on exam or like something even more minor where you feel like, yeah, it's a, it's a dishonest way to get ahead, but they're getting ahead. And there's a part in you that hates what they're doing, but there's a part in you that still envies the result. If you, if you know what I mean. There's a part of you that, like, I wish I didn't have to adhere to righteousness. It, maybe I could get ahead as well. Or maybe I, I, sh I shouldn't have to adhere with uh, purity standards, for example. Maybe I would date around more. and well, Maybe I would have more fun while I'm here in college. And there's so many things that deep inside of us, if we take a moment to think about, we feel like, oh, man, like there's, there's, a, there's a tinge of jealousy in us where, oh, I wish... Doing the right thing didn't have to cost me this much. And so there's, those are two different ways in which we tend to 
in a very human way, um, react to evil being done around us. But the Bible says, do not fret or do not be envious. And the only reason that we are given in this psalm is, oh, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Uh, that's just, uh, yeah, there's still some jealousy on your face. Uh, let me get that for you. Uh, <laughs> uh, so that's what I mean by jealousy, right? Uh, but this is what uh, the Bible tells us um, is the destiny of those evil men that we at times fret over or at times be, are envious over. They will soon wither. They will soon die away. So what we feel is so significant at times, so weighty, like, oh, they're getting ahead in their career. Oh, they got that job opportunity. Oh, they seem to be so happy with, with this boyfriend. Or, you know what I mean? Like, the, the very tangible things that seem very um, significant at the moment, the Bible is saying, like, don't worry about that. And don't be envious of that. It's so temporary. It's so temporary. What you feel is so like weighty right now is actually really nothing. It's only a matter of time before it fades away. So that's the only explanation we're given in Psalm 37. That's a good enough reason for us to not fret, not be envious. It's not permanent. It's not eternal. And it's only a matter of time before uh, these things wither and they soon die and pass away. That's the first half, right? So that, those are verses one and two. And we're going to move on to the second half, and this is where we're going to get a little bit more application. So uh, in this passage, uh, it says, Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. I'm going to give you three very practical uh, things that we could do in regards to our faith when we see uh, evil being done or evil evil going unpunished. Uh, first thing is trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. It sounds very easy. It sounds very straightforward. Um, but this is my uh, this is my application point number one. Don't just trust God, but trust God with understanding. Trust God with understanding. We're not trusting in a God who's imperfect. We're not trusting in a God who has failed before. Uh, and as soon as we continue to ground ourselves in our understanding of who God is in the living word, so it's not like we are speculating about who God is. We actually have written account. We have something to point back to that gives a solid footing, gives a solid uh, ground on which we stand. Um, so we're not speculating. We're not like believing in, we're not trying to say like, trust in Santa Claus. Trust in, you know, the... Uh, whatchamacallit, the, the tooth fairy, tooth fairy, or leprechauns, you know? It's not a mythical creature that we are asking you to put your trust and faith in because they would be, they would be fallible. They would, uh, you know, they would fail you before, um, before soon, before long. Um, sorry, English, my second language. Um, so trusting God with understanding. This is why knowing the word, this is why uh, going to Bible study, this is why going deeper in your understanding of who God is, is so important. Because it's going to be a time sooner or later where you begin to doubt even very basic things like, is God good? Something very, very basic where the enemy will come to you, dig away, chip away very slowly with lies. Like, like so what happened with your promotion? I thought God had your back. You know, something very small like that begins to chip away at your understanding. Is God really good? Is he really for me? But if you're grounded in the word, completely different story. You are able to look at the word and know what is true. 
not just what you're feeling, not just what your circumstances are that given moment. You're able to look at the word, point at a verse, and say, God is good. He's unfailing. He's unchanging. Alpha and Omega. He's my good shepherd, my redeemer. You can point at all these different verses and be grounded. Your trust will be pegged, will be hanging on something. Uh, a clear understanding of who God is. So this is why it's so important to trust God with understanding. Not just blindly assume like, yeah, I heard that this God was good, but see it for yourself. Study it for yourself. Know it. Own it for yourself. Trust God with understanding. Second thing, very straightforward, do good. Do good. And good meaning doing the will of God. Not just what you feel like is good or what the world says is good, but uh, this is my second application point. Obey God with joy. Obey God with joy. This is a very far cry from a lot of very religious, pious, uh, legalistic uh, ways that we try to gain God's favor or try to play the Christian game or try to be a churchy person. Uh, that's not what we're after. We're after obeying God with joy. Like, there's nothing more uh, counter, uh, like, nothing more oxymoronic, I guess, that doesn't make sense, as a miserable Christian. Miserable Christian. Those two words should never go together. If there's someone who has known the saving power of Christ, has been delivered, set free, and now is empowered to do the same for others, like, for someone to be pegged as miserable, like, doing their duty, like, just trudging along, like grudgingly obeying the Lord, it shouldn't make sense to us. That shouldn't make sense to us. It doesn't mean that, like, it's always going to be easy. It doesn't mean that it's always going to be just, yeah, you're going to feel like every morning you're going to wake up, and the first thing that's going to come to mind is, like, open up your Bible and, like, read for, like, two hours before you go to class. It's not always going to happen that way. Hopefully there's going to be a time or two when that happens. But what I'm saying is, like, if you miss out on the joy of obedience, you miss out on, like, 90% of the whole point. You know, like you're supposed to do things with joy. Obey God with joy. Can you imagine like you had a hypothetical boyfriend, girlfriend, um, and, and you know, like they wanted to take you out on a date and they're like, well, we haven't gone out on a date like for eight days, so fine, where do you want to go? You're like, oh my gosh, nowhere with you. <laughs> like that's, that completely defeats the point. The whole point is like have a good time together. Like, enjoy time together. Uh, do things in, in communion. You know what I mean? Like, that completely defeats the point. So obeying the Lord, obeying God with joy is like, it's so good for you and it's so good for the Lord. It's like a win-win for everybody. Um, so let me give you a few uh, instances in the Bible where um, this happens uh, for people, obeying God with joy. For example, Romans 7.22, this is Paul speaking. This is someone who has been persecuted, you know, like left for dead, shipwreck, all that stuff, right? So he says, like after all that, after all that, he says, 7.22, he says, for I delight in the law of God in my inner being. He doesn't say like, I do what I have to do for me to finish a race. No, like his stance is still like, after all that, that's my delight. Like That's what I just love doing. All these other things, they can't touch that joy that I have in the Lord. Romans 1, 2. But his, uh, sorry, um, 
Psalm 1-2, this is David speaking, he says, But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He doesn't meditate on the law of the Lord day and night because he has to, or because his familiar leader will be checking up on him. He loves it. Yes, there's going to be a season where you need discipline, you need structure, but you can't stay there your entire life. You know, you have to reach that point where like, it becomes your delight. That this is what you look forward to. Psalm 19, verses 8 through, 9, uh, 8 through 10, uh, just listen to this. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. So what they're saying is like, there's something so sweet, so precious, so delightful in the precepts of the Lord, in doing what is right before the Lord. It's not just saying that it's right, but it's also life-giving, joy-giving, to be celebrated. Psalm 48 also says, I delight to do your will. Oh, my God. Your law is within my heart. And then finally, John 4.34 uh, this is Jesus saying, speaking to his disciples. And this is someone who is like, like I can't even imagine having the kind of ministry schedule that he had. He had like throngs, multitudes of people, always demanding, grabbing at him, asking for you know healings, asking for feeding, asking for all these different things. He barely has any time to himself. He's always you know there to serve people. And this is what he says of doing this. He says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. This is what feeds him. This is what replenishes him. And this is how I feel like we're able to do the Christian thing, you know, walk the Christian walk, not just for a year, not just for two years, but when it becomes our joy, our delight, what's going to stop us from reaching 80 years old, 90 years old with, um, with more fervor than before, more delight, more joy than before, not feeling like we've missed out on things because we've been obeying the Lord, but we gained so many things because we've been obeying the Lord. That's where we want to go, obeying the Lord with joy. Not missing out on that. And thirdly, delight yourself in the Lord. I cannot, I cannot emphasize how important this is. You have to delight yourself in the Lord. Not just obey Him. Not just learn about Him. But you have to delight yourself in the Lord. I'm going to read you a few more passages. Philippians 3, 7-9. through 9. This is Paul again speaking. He says, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, yes, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. This is someone who has given everything up in order to follow the Lord, and he is enjoying it. He's enjoying it. He's not just enjoying doing the will of God, but he's enjoying the Lord himself. So this is the third application point. Enjoy God with abandon. With abandon. Not holding back, but with abandon. So the first point was trust God with understanding. Second was obey God with joy. Third one is enjoy God with abandon. There's nothing holding you back from enjoying the Lord more than you yourself. Your, your willingness, your capacity to just let yourself go and enjoy the Lord for who he is. So this is Philippians 3. This is the voice not of someone who's just fulfilling his duty. This is the voice of someone who's in love with the Lord. 
who has tasted and who has seen that he is good, that he's unfailing, that he has never um, given a promise that he hasn't fulfilled. This is, this is the voice of a person who has tasted and seen that he is good. Song of Songs, uh, chapter 2, verse 3, it says, As an apple tree among the, ap- the trees of the forest, so is my beloved among the young men. With great delight, I sat in his shadow, and his fruit was sweet to my taste. This is someone who knows how to delight in the Lord. Not just do things with him and for him, but do things, sorry, I said that wrong. Not for him, but with him as well, and delighting in the Lord himself. Psalm 63, verses 3 to 5. This is such a good passage. She says, because your steadfast love is better than life, my lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. This is someone who is completely given over in love, abandoned, fascinated, in wonder, in awe of the Lord. So this is how you enjoy God with abandon. Learning who he is, not just doing things for him, but doing things with him as well. So when you think about, when you look through the Bible, when you think about people like David, Peter, Hosea, the woman with the alabaster jar, John the disciple, these are all people that weren't just being dutifully obedient. They were genuinely in love with God. They were fascinated by the revelation of who he was. They were hungry for his word. They were desperate for his presence, and no amount of hardships, no amount of persecution or opposition could discourage them from radical pursuit. Nothing people said around them could dissuade them from following him even more wholeheartedly all the way to the end. And there was no power nor authority on earth that could entice them into compromise or lukewarmness. These were people who had tasted and seen that he is good. People who had witnessed God's faithfulness in in their lives. And people who could trust and obey God beyond what a servant could do. Because they were not just servants, but they were lovers. And this is my exhortation to you as KU. I don't know if you guys know this, but the the millennial uh, generation has kind of a, a, a bad rep. In some ways, good rep in some ways, bad rep in others. One of the things um, that uh, kind of, you know, sociologists or whatnot, they, they will say they will uh, characterize uh, our generation as, they will say that we are not able to commit. We're not able to commit. We kind of go from passion to passion and just tasting a little bit, like dipping a little bit here and there. And uh, like whatever is trendy, whatever is like, like like fighting for justice out in you know somewhere is like the new sexy thing right now to do so that's what we'll do like for until it becomes unsexy and then we'll find another you know like that's kind of like how our generation is characterized there's some truth in that in that we have our attention being so divided between so many different things and i'm not saying that that is wrong to be passionate about different things and be aware about different things but there needs to be a pipeline there needs to be something that continues on from now until we see the lord and that needs to be a groundedness a passion to live for the lord i i assure you that if you're passionate for example about social justice the surefire way of being 
steadfast and committed to that, not just for the next year or not until, uh, not just until, you know, something else becomes like the new trend. But if you are genuinely invested in that and you want to make it long term, loving the Lord and understanding His heart for social justice will help you make it all the way through. Like it doesn't need to be one or the other, but I know that if you, you bank on one thing, um, that is temporary, instead of banking and anchoring yourself in the Lord, um, one is bound to lose steam. One is bound to uh, stop catching your interest after a while. But, but anchoring yourself in who the Lord is and His heart for the world, His heart for you, His heart for your destiny, for your calling, for your growth, for all these things, that's the only way for you to make it long term and not be just another stereotype of of a millennial. Yeah, there goes another millennial. They are very loud about, you know, what they're passionate about now, but, you know, let's check back in five years and see, you know, where they're at. Uh, that's not who we want to become, and that's not what defines us either. We, as Christians, we're given the power, we're given the authority to not be defined by the world around us. You guys know that, right? Like, even as college students here, you're not going to be defined by your professors, by the teachings. There's going to be a lot that is poured into you, but it's not going to define who you are. If you anchor yourself in who the Lord says you are, there's nothing that can come against that. And I, this is just my personal belief, as, you know, as stigmatized at times or as overgeneralized as, peop, as the millennial generation is, I still believe that there's going to be like Josiahs that rise up from this generation. You know, Josiah was like a very young king, like he went into, uh, into the position of king at the age of 12, I believe. He was super young. didn't know what he was doing. And uh, a few years into his reign, he discovered the word. And this was during a time in which Israel had lost the, the law of the Lord. They had lost the word. And it's just this one guy. And he's a young guy, and he's very inexperienced. But he found the law. And the most radical thing that he did was just actually believe that it was true. That's, that's his one radical uh, act of faith. Just he put his faith in the word. The word of the Lord is true. And that changed an entire nation. One person was able to change the course of an entire nation. That's what I believe is like in our midst as millennials. I believe that there's people who are, are, are Davids who are out in the pasture right now. You know, pasture of chem lab or something. You know, like some hidden place where you feel like, oh, what I do doesn't really matter. But the Lord is going to find you there. And he's going to anoint you there. I believe that there's, there's going to be people who are going to be shifting culture that are going to be defying the ways of the world. They're going to say, like, we're not going to be defined by what media says we are. We're not going to be defined by what seems to be almost inevitable, the, the inevitable direction that our culture is sweeping us in. I feel like when there's people who are captivated and captured by the Spirit of God, people in our generation will be rising up with that spirit to shift culture, to shift nations, to be able to define things uh, that will uh, affect more than just them, but their immediate surroundings as well. I believe that there's people that are going to be called to that. That's what I believe God sees in our generation. Not just people who, like, will go from one passion to the other, or they're so um, over-involved uh, over in their technologies that they just can't, you know, think straight, like, for just 30 minutes, or uh, people that are so ADD, or, you know what I mean? Like, all these characterizations, um, some of it is has, has a grain of truth, but 
it really doesn't have to define us. And we have been given the authority and the power to not just be that stereotype as Christians. Now, if you can open up your Bibles again, we don't have a, a slide for this, but I'd like you to uh, go back to Psalm 37. This, uh, and I want to close with how David closes the psalm. So he goes on to say, you know, he, he keeps talking about, you know, those who uh, put their faith in the Lord, um, they will not be put to shame, etc., etc. And then go all the way to verse 34, and I'm going to read all the way to the end. Verse 34 says, wait for the Lord and keep his way. In other words, don't give up. Doing right, see, doing what's right sometimes seems very costly, seems very unpopular, seems like you might be the only one who cares. You look around you, nobody else cares. You seem to be the only one who's doing it. But he says, just keep his way, keep his way. He will exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you will see it. I have seen a wicked and a ruthless man flourishing like a green tree in its native soil. So this is when the evildoers seem to be getting their way. Verse 36, but he soon passed away and was no more. Though I looked for him, he could not be found. Consider the blameless. Observe the upright. There is a future for the man of peace, but all sinners will be destroyed. The future of the wicked will be cut off. The salvation of the righteous comes from the Lord. He is their stronghold in times of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. So these are great words of encouragement. As Christians who are called to stay in the place of faith in the midst of evil around us, we don't need to be our own defenders. We don't need to, uh, we, we don't need to prove to anybody that people are wrong and we are right he says, just leave it to me. You just continue to do what I've called you to do. You continue to obey. You continue to trust in me and understanding. Continue to delight yourself in me. And I'll see to it that you'll prosper. I'll see to it that the evil men, they will not have their way at the end of the day. It's only temporary. Don't be phased by that. Don't fret over that. And don't be envious of it either. If you knew the destiny uh, that they are stepping right into, you would not be envious and you would not fret. It's only temporary. They seem to be getting their way. but you will see that the way of the Lord will be what remains. That will be what matters. That will be what holds weight at the end of the day. So these are great words of encouragement uh, for us as a generation who's living in a very particular time in history right now. Um, and more and more, although this seems like it's very far off even here in Korea, more and more Christianity will become unpopular. And that's Something that we need to be ready for. You know, that's already happening in America a lot, um, where Christianity is no longer the cool thing or it's no longer the, the moral norm, and it becomes something to be attacked. It's something to be uh, seen as, you know, small-minded or, you know, whatnot, uh, or bigoted or whatnot. Um, slowly, that's where the, the course of culture is going. And more and more as Christians living in this day and age, we need to be prepared uh, to not be shaken by that and to know that um, whatever seems to be happening all around us, whatever circumstances seem to be happening all around us, um, there is nothing that can shake us from that place of faith. There's nothing that can shake us from the joy in obeying the Lord and doing what's right in his eyes.
We have nothing else to prove to anybody else. We are only accountable before the Lord. And that's what we will bear witness before the Lord when that day comes. So I want to close this in prayer. Father, you alone know the things that are up ahead for us. As believers, you already, you already know what's coming up for us in a year, in two years, in ten years, in twenty years. You already anticipate and see uh, what things we need to be preparing ourselves for. And I pray, Father, that we would not be Christians who are just waiting for someone to feed us. We're not just waiting for someone to tell us what to do. But we would be Christians, Lord God, that are so anchored in your word, so unsh- unshaken, Lord God, in the place of faith. Christians that will not bend to the ways of the world. They will not bend to compromise. They will not bend to envy. But Christians that are anchored in who you are. In your word that will never fail. No matter how many years pass by. No matter how much culture changes around us. Your word will stand forever. Your truth will still stand. And we anchor ourselves in that hope, God. We pray specifically, Lord God, for students here at KU. May this be a place of faith, of sharpening, of gearing up for battle. May this not be just a place of comfort and understanding, but may this also be a place where we are challenged, God. Where we know that there's something bigger than our comfort, something bigger than what we feel like or what is fun to us. But I pray, Father, that you... Teach us, Lord God, to delight in you, delight in your word, enjoy you with abandon, not give up our joy, even in the midst of the hardships at times of obeying your word. I pray, God, that even when we find it, find ourselves alone in the place of doing what's right, when we look all around us and nobody seems to care, nobody seems to notice, nobody seems to know that it costs us so much to do what is right before your eyes. I pray, Father, that we would not be bending to those things, but we would know that our reward is in you, that everything that we need is in you, that you are who we desire, that you are the one who will see to it that your promises are fulfilled, that our callings are fulfilled, and you alone are the desire and satisfaction of our hearts. I pray, God, that you anchor us, Lord God, in that, in that truth. I want us to take some time um, to just pray for a few people. I wonder if there's um, anybody here who is trying to follow the Lord, uh, but they are doing it against the will of their families. If there's someone here who feels like they don't have the support of their families to follow after God wholeheartedly. Maybe you are the first believer in your family. Maybe your family, they are believers, but they're not pushing you forward and so instead they're trying to hold you back. If that's you, I'd like you, um, you know, to not be embarrassed, but to just take a time, take this opportunity to receive some prayer, to know that you don't have to be the one to defend yourself. To know that the Lord is the one who will defend you. He will be the one to see to it that you will prosper. That no attacks 
then nothing anybody says will define who you are before the Lord. So that's you. Just like you to stand up and uh, receive some prayer today. If you don't mind, do you you mind coming up to the front? If you could all just stretch out your hands. And as brothers and sisters in Christ, um, just face me and I'll just pray for you. As brothers and sisters in Christ, um, we are family. And we are each other's support. And when it seems like it's costly for us to believe and follow after the Lord, we need to know that we're not alone. We need to know that there's somebody who's spurring us on. Somebody who's not trying to hold us back, but really wanting to see us grow and go further than ever before. So let's take a moment to pray.